I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Tonight we were going to look at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 15. Beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would join your hearts together with me once again in in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who with grief and shame weighed down, was crucified in our place to save us. We thank you for your chosen servant, your Messiah, who has come and who has died and who has risen, and who gives us his word, who speaks to us from the pages of Holy Scripture. We pray, Father, that you would open our ears to hear the loving voice of our Savior speaking to us uh, tonight in the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 15. Beloved, this is the word of God. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. And he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. And he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. This is the word of God. This section here serves as kind of a brief pause in the flow of in the flow of the story. In verse 14, you can see that the last section ended with the Pharisees going out and conspiring against Jesus and thinking and planning how to destroy him. And now we hear of this fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah. Matthew is following Jesus' path toward the confrontation with the unbelieving Jews in Israel. It is true that Jesus had come to seek and to save the lost. That is certainly why he came, to seek and to save save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But we know that the seeking, this seeking of the lost sheep of his elect within Israel primarily was contended against on all sides from the unbelieving Jews. As Jesus came to seek the sheep of his fold, he experienced more and more opposition from the unbelieving Jews, in particular from the religious leaders at the time, the unbelieving religious uh, the unbelieving Pharisees. We already witnessed their murderous hostility towards Jesus in regard to Sabbath keeping. That's what we looked at the last a couple of weeks. These exchanges on the Sabbath day led to the Pharisees starting to conspire together to kill Jesus. We just read that in verse 14. Their hatred bubbled up to the point where they decided we've just simply got with this person. Verse 15 says, Jesus aware of this. 
That is to say that Jesus at this point knew about the plans of the Pharisees. He came to know that this is what they were planning to do against him. He was aware of it now. He was, in, he was aware now that he was a very, uh, he was aware in a very clear way now that he was a target, that his life was on the line, that every f- step that he took in his ministry was a step towards death or could be potentially a step into a trap where he might be killed. And so he's aware of this. He's aware his life is on the line. His ministry had thus provoked, for the most part, not humility, but wrath and hatred from the false shepherds at this time. Everything he did was meant to provoke humility on the part of everyone who heard him. And yet here we see in the religious leaders, it did not provoke humility. Rather, what he was doing, what he was saying, provoked pure hatred, murderous hatred. Now at this point, Jesus, as we will see in this quote from Isaiah... Jesus could have used his power and authority to snuff out the unbelieving Israelites and their self-righteous leaders. That that was an option for Christ with all the power at his disposal to simply wipe out his opponents with one shot. As it says in the Isaiah quote, Jesus is the chosen and beloved servant of God, of Yahweh. Jesus, the Messiah, has at his disposal then all the power of the Holy Spirit. How then would he respond to the hatred of the Pharisees and later the majority of the Jews? What this pause in the flow of the story shows us is that Jesus, as the Messiah, will not respond to hatred with hatred. He will not respond to violence with more violence. He will not use his power. He will not usurp his authority and go beyond the will of his father to use his power to wipe out his opponents, to break them down. And he could have. He, he told us as much when he says that he could at any point call upon 10,000 upon 10,000 legions of angels to come and do his bidding, but he did not do that. And that is what this pause in the story shows us about Jesus' character and how he would respond to his opponents. He doesn't take it upon himself at this point to hate his enemies, if we could put it that way, if we could put it in the words of his, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, Jesus said in that sermon to his disciples, love your enemies. Do not Hate them. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Well, here Jesus shows that he would continue to embody this teaching in his ministry. This is who he is, and this is what he would continue to do. Now, verse 15 shows us that Jesus appropriately sought to protect his own life until the appointed time. Now, he knew that his life was on the line, and so what did he do? He withdrew from there, and so he's protecting his life. He's looking to keep himself alive until the appointed time. Now, there would be a time when he must die. But for now, aware of the danger upon his life, we are told that he withdrew from there. And so, to protect himself. His fame was still high at this point. 
many followed him, and he healed them all, we are told, and he ordered them not to make it known, not to make these healings known. And so then what we see here is regardless of the fact that Jesus had become a target for destruction, knowing this, he knows he's a target. Regardless of that fact, he still healed all without discrimination. They came, he healed them all. He's having to withdraw for his life, and yet he's still giving of himself. He's healing all of them. Many of these people that Jesus healed who received this wonderful physical healing from the Messiah, they would be the same people who would align themselves with the murderous Pharisees and have him crucified. And yet, what does Jesus do? Knowing this, he heals them all. And he told these people that were recently healed not to tell anyone about it, as it says in verse 19. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. In other words, Christ's power would not be revealed with outward display. He was not like other kings. Yes, he's healing all of these people in a miraculous way, and certainly there's glory revealed there, but he told them not to tell anyone about it. He would not announce himself like other kings would do. He was not after the glory that comes from man. Think about how King Herod conducted his kingship in comparison to Christ's. Back in chapter 2, when Herod found out the wise men had tricked him in regard to the whereabouts of Jesus and they did not return to him, Herod became exceedingly angry and he had all the young boys in the region of Bethlehem murdered. All the young boys, two years of age and under. That was his response to opposition. Think also about how the Pharisees, about the Pharisees and their leadership style. How did they operate when faced with opposition, when faced with enemies? When their attempts to accuse Jesus on the Sabbath failed two times over, like Herod, they resorted to plans for murder. They sought to destroy him. And as we will see towards the end of Matthew, they were successful in that. And so Christ, in comparison to them, is different. His leadership style, his leadership Uh, The way he conducts his leadership, the way he conducts his kingship is much, much different. Christ's power was a hidden power, a power that could only truly be seen and received by those who had spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. Remember Jesus' prayer. He said, you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. And so even though there is outward glory being displayed before them in these healings, nevertheless, they still, for the most part, remain blinded. They were hidden. These things were hidden from them from the, because they were too wise. They were too puffed up in their own pride to really see who this Messiah was and what he had come to do. Again, Christ's outward displays his, were glorious, for sure. Uh, raising the dead, healing people, multiplying bread and fish, But there were glorious displays of Christ's power to restore, to renew, to bring to life. 
They were meant to communicate to those who received them, to those who saw them, that Jesus came to give those who follow him spiritual life, resurrection life, by believing in him. And so his words, his actions were to be connected in the minds of those who saw everything that took place and heard these things. And they were to understand, I'm in need of a savior. I am a sinful individual before a holy God and a holy Messiah. Have mercy on me, son of David. That was the point in all of these things. It was all these events, all of these Displays of glory and his healings and other events, other actions were meant to draw the people to the Messiah's power to redeem them, to redeem their souls, to raise their dead hearts from the dead. That is what these were meant to do, and yet they were blind to it. Now what Matthew teaches us here is that the aspect of the promised Messiah's ministry, this aspect uh, of what Jesus came to do, as king of Israel, it was already portrayed clearly hundreds of years before it happened through the prophet Isaiah. And so the people of Israel who refused to see or could not see, they were blind to what was happening before them, they had no excuse. This is exactly what Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before this about what the Messiah would do. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He then quotes Isaiah 42. In Isaiah 42, God gave a prophecy through the prophet Isaiah about the Messiah to come. For the Jews, this type of ministry and kingship that he conducted, it should not have been a surprise. The way he operated in humility, in lowliness, in humiliation, ultimately. And not in outward displays of earthly, kingly glory, but in displays of compassion and mercy. It should not have been a surprise. Behold, my servant. This is how the section of the prophecy begins. Behold, my servant. Now, Christ's kingship, then, is characterized by service. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. He serves not his own glory, but the glory of his Father. Behold, my chosen servant. He is a king, and yet he is a serving king. I came not to be served, like Herod came to be served, like the Pharisees desired to be served. He came to serve, to lay down his life for those whom he led. So he is the chosen servant. We also see there that the prophecy says, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. Now the Father spoke these very words from heaven at Christ's baptism. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. These words here reflect not only the divine stamp of approval upon Jesus as the Christ, and so the people heard these, these words were heard at his baptism, and now they are reminded of the, the, of the fact that they already heard these words on some level through the prophecy of Isaiah about the fact that this was God's beloved son with whom he is well pleased. And so this is the Christ. This is 
the one upon whom God has placed his stamp of approval. This is my Messiah, God says. But they also show here, these words also show the love and delight that exists between father and son. Now, two things should be pointed out here. First, Christ's character reveals the father's character. The father delights in the son. The son delights in the father. To see the son, to hear the son, is to see the character of the father and to hear the words and character of the father as well. Christ's character reveals the father's character. And what is that character? He doesn't break bruised reeds. He doesn't quench smoldering wicks. This Christ, the Christ, is merciful. He's patient toward us. This is the character of the Father. To know the Son is to know the Father, Jesus said. And so, the first thing we need to see here is that Christ's character reveals the Father's character. This is the Father's disposition towards you. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. The second thing is this, is that if the Father delights in humble, self-sacrificial service, like Christ's service, this is my chosen servant with whom I am well pleased. Everything he did was pleasing to his Father. Everything he did. And what did he do? He sacrificed himself. He laid down his life. If that pleases the Father, self-sacrificial service, then the Father most assuredly delights in us when we do the same. When we serve others in humility, not seeking to draw attention to ourselves, not raising our voice in the streets, not pointing to ourselves all the good, so-called good things that we do, like the Pharisees did. That's what they liked. They, they like to stand on the street corners. They liked to be greeted in the marketplace. They liked glory from man. But the Father, we are shown here that the Father delights in self-sacrificial service that does not seek its own, does not draw attention to itself. Now, this servant-minded character of the Messiah reveals also the character and work of the Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit Upon him. Now, this had literally taken place at Jesus' baptism. This is the kind of that God put his spirit upon him. This is the kind of work that the spirit does in us, friends. The Holy Spirit works this work in us. He makes us like Christ, He makes us humble, acting in humility like Christ, not seeking glory for man. He does not cry aloud in the streets. He's not seeking praise of men. That is what the Spirit does in us. He subdues our desires for that. He subdues our pride so that we don't go about life in that way. That we don't cry aloud in the streets. That we humbly, quietly serve one another in love to the glory of God the Father. And so the Spirit shapes us into Christ's image and He helps us and makes us to be patient Gentle towards those of little faith, bruised reeds, smoldering wicks about to go out. We are patient and gentle towards those who suffer, towards the weak, the helpless, the powerless. That's what we are to be like. That's that's the character of the Spirit. I will put my Spirit upon Him. 
And that same spirit works in us. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Now this is a perfect representation of the spiritual condition of all of us, friends. A broken reed. A smoldering wick. A broken reed is on the verge of falling forever. It's broken. It's barely, it's barely up from the ground. Easily be knocked over permanently broken forever. The slightest touch will bring it down. This lamp wick that is smoldering, it's like a dying match or a dying candle. It's about to lose all of its light. One little pinch would snuff out its light forever. Jesus doesn't stomp us out. He doesn't snuff out our light. He builds us up. He makes us light in him, rather. He corrects us. He stands us up straight and makes us holy, makes us righteous. A bruised reed he will not break. He fills us with life and light by his gospel. And so then if he does that for us, we are to do the same with one another. Build each other up, not tear down. It's difficult at times, is it not, friends, because of our sinful flesh. We use whatever authority or power or Uh, privilege we have to break down others around us, to make them aware just of how much power we think we might have. When Jesus calls us to use our authority, use our privilege, use our gifts to build others up, even those who are about to be broken down. Now the justice that's spoken of here is conformity to God's law until he brings justice to victory. That's the justice that is referred to, conformity to God's law. We are broken reeds and smoldering wicks because we break God's law. That's our spiritual condition. But by his spirit, Christ makes us to love justice. He makes us to love God's law, to delight in his word. Until one day, we will have the victory victory that's promised here and accomplished by the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We will have victory. One day we will stand firm in Jesus Christ and resurrected bodies, fulfilling God's law uh, forever. But that day is not yet. And at the same time, though, this is what the Spirit does as well. He makes us to love God's law, to be conformed conformed to the principles and to the standards of God's law. Now this victory here that's spoken of, it's not restricted to the faithful Israel alone. Until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Now this is a reference to the worldwide dominion that Christ will have in the hearts and minds of his people in the new heavens and the new earth. This is a a vision, a prophecy looking toward the end of the age. When God's people from all nations will be perfectly conformed to justice, to God's law perfectly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That will happen then. That is what the Messiah does. He ushers in this new age. That will happen then, but he's already doing that now. And this work is already beginning in Jesus' ministry here. He's looking toward, outward towards the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, to offer them the grace that is found in this broken Savior, this crucified Savior. Beloved, we are this, we are the fulfillment of this 
prophecy until he brings justice to victory and his, in his name the Gentiles will hope. That's us. We are the Gentiles. It has come to us. We now hope in the Messiah. The gospel has come to us and by the power of Christ's spirit, we now hope in this Christ, this Christ that is revealed here in Matthew and also in Isaiah, this Jewish Messiah. He is our king. The violent and self-exalting nature of worldly rulers, both civil and spiritual. In the civil realm, they're violent, self-exalting. In the religious realm, false teachers are violent and self-exalting. All of those things are in direct opposition to this kind of Messiah and King and to these types of people, us, who follow him. We are not to be like that. We are not to be self-exalting. We are not to be violent. We are not even to respond to violence with violence. We are to respond to violence with prayer, with love, with patience, with endurance, with long-suffering that is radically opposed to the way in which the rest of the world operates and the way in which the rest of leadership in the world operates in whatever realm they may find themselves. This is who we are, friends. Jesus, and this is so because this is what Jesus is. Jesus would become a bruised reed himself and a smoldering wick. The world, the unbelieving world with the Jews, they were glad to snuff him out. He's broken, a bruised reed, hanging on the cross, a smoldering wick, they were happy to go ahead and put the final touches on his death. Jesus became this very thing himself. But that was precisely how Jesus achieved victory. It was becoming more and more apparent here that the Pharisees and those Jews who in the end sided with the Pharisees, it was becoming more and more apparent that they missed this point about the true Messiah altogether. They refused to, to fall in line with what God was calling them to do and to be through Christ's ministry and through his preaching. They sided with the violent ones. And so they had this bruised reed broken down all the way. They had this smoldering wick snuffed out altogether. But in a reversal of fortunes that we often see and hear about in the Gospels and the New Testament. That is exactly how Christ achieved his victory. For now, though, friends, as we will see, these unbelieving Jews, they were content for the moment to receive his healings while their hearts remained distant. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore.